questions and answers. What is one of the greatest scandals in the evangelical church today? Church historian Mark Knowles states, The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there's not much of an evangelical mind. Notwithstanding all other virtues, American evangelicals are not exemplary for their thinking, and they have not been for several generations. The Christian church for generations led the way in thinking, and her ideas helped shape much of the Western civilization. How did Christians lose the ability to engage the ideas of the culture? And how can we recover the Christian mind? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, scholar, and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat today as he explains one of the greatest needs in the church today, the ability to think deeply and engage the great ideas of the culture. Join Pat now for this message that will surely challenge you to love God with your mind. All right, we're talking about the Christian mind today. First century church transformed the Roman Empire within a generation. The impact of Christianity could be felt throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, by the time you get to the third century already, you know, Justinian, the final pagan Roman emperor on his deathbed stated, you know, uh, Invictus Galilean, Galilean you have won, you know, and um, the following emperor Constantine gave his life to Jesus Christ and Christianity took over the Roman Empire. And historians have studied and trying to figure out how that happened. How was it that in such a short time, without any political power or military might or any kind of economic or financial power, how was it that the first century church was able to transform the Roman Empire like that? And my church historian there at Dallas Seminary maybe summarized it best. Of course, they had the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel. But he said one thing they had, he said they were able to outlove and outthink the culture around them. And when you have those two combinations, that's really an unbeatable combination. When you can outlove and outthink the culture around you. And from the churches came a great legacy of great thinkers. Right? The Apostle Paul, even to this day, is considered one of the finest thinkers of all time. Augustine one who introduced philosophy, really brought forth for the first time Christian philosophy into uh, the Western world. Thomas Aquinas, tremendous philosopher, theologian. Much of his philosophy we still use today. Okay? Several of his arguments for the existence of God have never been refuted and we still use them today. Tremendous, tremendous thinker. Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest theologian to have come from the United States. There's a tradition of fine, great thinkers, great legacy that has come through the Christian church. Christian societies were known for their love and care for their neighbors, which led to the rise in the study and development of things like medicine, the sciences, the buildings of hospitals, orphanages, schools, and colleges. And Christian societies were also known for their scholarship. Art, music, some of the greatest literature came out of the Christian churches. The modern sciences 
were birthed. If you study the men who founded the modern sciences were men committed to God and a theistic worldview. Now, the situation today is quite different. We're great at emphasizing, you know, loving the culture around us. But when it comes to outthinking the culture, things have changed. Here's a wonderful book, Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, from church history professor Mark Knoll. You've read it, huh? I can see. Professor of church history at University of Notre Dame. Okay, wonderful, wonderful book. A lot of my ideas, this is one of the books it comes from. And he says this, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there's not much of an evangelical mind. Notwithstanding all their other virtues, American evangelicals are not exemplary for their thinking, and they have not been for several generations. Philosopher R.C. Sproul states this, we live in what may be the most anti-intellectual period in history of Western civilization. We must have passion, indeed hearts on fire for the things of God, but that passion must resist with intensity the anti-intellectual spirit of the world. J.P. Moreland, and this is another great book here, Love God with All Your Mind, a professor of philosophy there at Biola University. And he stated this, the ideas of the culture appear to have overrun the culture and the church is no longer a participant in the battle of ideas. George Gallup wrote this. He says, we have a revival of feelings, but not of the knowledge of God. The church today is more guided by feelings than by conviction. Now, how in the world did this happen from the church being the leader of the culture, the ideas that came out from the church are what had a tremendous impact in shaping Western culture. If you study, those of you who teach U.S. history, you know how Christian thought had a tremendous impact in the forming of our United States. I do a whole study on the history of the United States, and they studied you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and they discovered that the number one source referenced by far right, was the Bible. And where in the world did our founding fathers get their ideas for this unique form of government that developed? Well, they did a tremendous study and they discovered it came from the sermons of the pastors who were preaching at that time. Their sermons were copied and distributed throughout the colonies there. And a lot of the ideas of our founding fathers come from there, right? That's the kind of impact and influence the church had in the development of nations throughout the West. Well, how do we get to the point we are today? The Bible commands us to develop our minds, to think biblically and develop intellectually. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God, developing intellectually, developing your mind is part of discipleship and our worship of God. Loving God means developing and growing in our entire being. And that includes the mind. And unfortunately, as we have seen a uh, trend in 
the United States and in evangelical Christianity, there's been a great neglect of the development of the mind. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight there. Paul wanted his people to develop intellectually. Paul was a great thinker. So was Peter. You, you read the epistles uh, of Peter. You know, I have the privilege of teaching them in a college class right now. Man was a tremendous thinker, understood the ideas of his times, and was able to refute the false ideas that were competing against the gospel during his time. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. What Paul is talking there is when he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. He's drawing an image of a castle that's protected by these walls. We destroy arguments. The Greek word there is kataskato, means to go down to the foundations and overturn the walls. So the barriers that protect the mind from taking seriously the message of God, the false arguments that people put up there <laughs> that keep people from hearing and taking seriously the message of the gospel, Paul says you go in there and overthrow, demolish those kinds of arguments. And as men go in and capture enemies in a castle, he says that's what we do. We demolish these arguments and then we go in there and take every thought captive bringing it to obedience to Christ. So as you can see, loving God involves the development of our mind. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. The Greek word there, apologia, a defense. Okay? That's a legal term used of a lawyer presenting his case in a courtroom. And to give the reason the logos for the hope that you have. Okay? The reason, the logos, means evidence or arguments that provide rational justification for some kind of belief. And uh, Peter's saying, be prepared always okay, to give a rational defense of why you believe. And Christianity was known for its great scholarship, right? The university started here of the 108 Universities that were begun in the United States, 106 were founded on the Christian faith. A lot of them, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, they began as what? Seminaries to train pastors for the new frontier. Modern sciences were founded by men committed to the theistic worldview. By the way, I got to speak at the, a lot of the Ivy League colleges this past fall, and one I spoke at was Cornell University. And of all the Ivy League schools, did you know? It was found purely as a secular campus. And so you go there, there's no chapel or anything. Not like, you know, UPenn and Harvard, Princeton, they, they have a chapel. It may not be used much, but there's a chapel there. Stanford, you know. But you go to Cornell, there isn't one. And, you know, interesting side note. I remember walking through Cornell, the beautiful campus, before I was to speak that night. 
And I noticed there's all these bars on these bridges. Beautiful bridge, a lot of rivers running through, you know, there in Ithaca and running right through the campus. And I finally asked the guy giving me the tour, I said, how come you have all these bars on your bridges? And he goes, well, we have the highest suicide rate of any college on the East Coast. And these kids jump off the bridge and he said, the dean of students is horrified at how many phone calls he has to make every semester, not every, every semester, the parents whose kids have committed suicide. In my mind, I was thinking, gee, well, I'm not really surprised, you know, you, you take God out of your education and what are you left with? You know, you're left with some kind of uh, existentialism where ultimately you come to the point where you say life ultimately has no hope, no significance, no meaning, you know. But there's a great thing going on on those Ivy League campuses. We did an outreach there at the Cornell, and they were expecting about 100 students. So I was there in the auditorium. Uh, the Muslims were outside praying against us, of course. And over 300 students showed up, and over 100 had to go in an overflow room and everything. So I presented the case for Jesus Christ, and then we opened up the floor for Q&A. Great questions pretty intense time of Q&A. The students were interested or listening when it was done, you know. I had students coming up and asking me some more questions. So some great things going on, on on these campuses throughout the United States. But anyway, getting back to our topic, over 106 of the 108 colleges were founded on the Christian faith. Okay. So how did Western culture move from theism to become dominated by secular humanism? Well, one of the factors is a growing anti-intellectualism in the church. And this has resulted in the marginalization of Christianity in society. Hey, the West has become one of the most secular cultures in history. How did this occur? Well, in the late 1800s, there was a shift in Christianity as the Second Great Awakening swept through Europe and especially here throughout the United States with the powerful preaching of men like Wesley, Whitfield, Charles Finney, and others. They developed an emphasis on immediate personal conversion instead of a period of reflection and developing conviction seen in the preaching during the Great Awakenings. And there was a greater emphasis on experience and emotion. And George Marsden, a church historian, summarizes the Great Awakening. Although many people prayed to receive Jesus Christ, he writes, anti-intellectualism was a feature of American revivalism. The emphasis was to make the gospel very simple, emphasize one's personal experience with God. There was an emphasis on experience and emotion. Thousands were converted, but they had little depth of Christian doctrine and teaching that followed their conversions. Now this shift made the church then vulnerable to the false ideas of the culture. And it's at this time, three of the major cults developed, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, and Christian Science. But it's also at this time that the Enlightenment ideas that challenged the Christian worldview and Christian theism were developing in Europe and coming and challenging the Christian worldview here in the United States as well. And the anti-intellectual trend in the church left the church vulnerable and unable to meet the challenge of the Enlightenment thinkers and their ideas as they began sweeping across Europe 
and the United States. Here's some men you may recognize here who presented some powerful ideas and arguments against the Christian faith. David Hume, how many of you recognize that name? All right, who is he? Philosopher, father of modern skepticism. He presented some powerful arguments against the existence of God and against the miracles and against Christianity. His arguments are still used to this day in the debates that uh, I have been in and men far more brilliant than I, Bill Craig, Gary Habermas, Norm Geisler, those guys, when I hear those debates, it's all David Hume. It's all David Hume arguments. And several debates that I've had, they weren't as sophisticated as those guys, but guess what? It's David Hume. David Hume repackaged. His arguments are still being used today. And he presented some of the most powerful arguments against the existence of God, and the church was unable to answer some of his arguments. Then the next guy coming, his name was Immanuel Kant. How many of you know that name? Yeah, all right. What do you know of Immanuel Kant? He was the crossroads of philosophy cross at Immanuel Kant. Tremendous philosopher. I can't understand him. Can you? I need to read commentaries on him. Tremendous philosopher. But he presented some arguments that he believed demolished the classical arguments for the existence of God. Of course, both men failed in their philosophy, but their arguments were not met and engaged by the Christian church moving in an anti-intellectual trend right there. Now, following these guys come some of the great thinkers of the modern era, and I'm sure you'll recognize these guys. That guy, Charles Darwin, father of? Charles Darwin gave us science without God, right? Science and Christianity were never enemies. For centuries, they were allies. The men who founded the modern sciences, I mean, read Isaac Newton, you know, read them, Babbage, Pascal, Faraday, Bacon, read all those guys. They're men committed to the Christian world. It's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. Uh, you want a good message on that. Our CDs are for sale from the Apologetics Conference last year. Dr. William Lane Craig spoke on science and religion, enemies or allies. And he does a great job in illustrating how they were allies. And it's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. Christians understood that the universe was created by a rational, reasoned God who put laws in order. And this universe could be studied because it was a reasoned, ordered universe and it could be discovered. It was quickly hijacked by two non-scientists named Darwin and Huxley. Right, and brought it under the naturalistic worldview and has been there ever since. But Darwin gave us an understanding of the origins of life without God and hijacked the sciences and brought it under the naturalistic worldview. Then came the next man, Karl Marx. Karl Marx is, okay, father socially. He gave us an understanding of human society and economics without God. And that's his philosophy has been a dominant political force, but also a lot of the economics that you are seeing being taught in the colleges are strongly influenced by Karl Marx. Next man, Sigmund Freud, father of modern psychology, right? Okay, he gave us an understanding of human nature without God. And then 
For all of you teachers there, I'm sure you know him, John Dewey, the father of modern education. He gave us an education system that took God out of the picture, okay? made sciences the chief way to define truth, okay? and really put a socialist bent on modern education. Friedrich Nietzsche, philosopher, father of many philosophers called postmodern philosophy, made the famous statement, what? God is dead. He said, look, all you philosophers, you're all saying that God does not exist or is irrelevant, yet you're still having an ethical system and a system that is built on absolutes. Hey, if God doesn't exist, there are no absolutes. Okay? There can be no hope, meaning, or significance in this life. Come to grips with that. All right? And so the whole, quote, postmodern philosophies started by this guy. And here's a guy you may not recognize, Julius Wellhausen. How many of you recognize that name? All right, what's he known for? Higher criticism. German higher criticism. Okay? Gave us an understanding of the Bible without God. Okay? How the Bible is purely a product of you know schools, the JEPD schools who came together and put this together. It's really human in its origin and really challenged the divine inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible. Now here's some of the great thinkers from the West that Wellhausen is taught in most seminaries today. Okay? Very few seminaries that would challenge the Wellhausen theory. Okay? I remember speaking at the SMU, Southern Methodist University Seminary, and I was speaking on the historical reliability of the Gospels. And, and I, I mentioned something just briefly about Moses writing the, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. I said, in Moses' law, in the law of Moses, da, 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 and student right away, all the students were, I said, yes, Moses didn't write that, JPD. Something like, you've got to be contemporary in your scholarship. And I said, ah, well, you know, so we went to explain how that theory has been blown out. Still taught at most seminaries to this day. So here's some of the major thinkers as their ideas began to sweep across Europe and the United States. And the church was not able to meet and engage their ideas. And instead, the church kind of went into retreat and focused more on experience and emotion and your personal walk with God. And as a result then, these ideas captured uh, Western civilization, became the dominant ideas of the culture as the church went into retreat. Instead of engaging these ideas, instead the church went into retreat behind her walls. So what has resulted today? Well. One of the things that has resulted is there's a misunderstanding of faith and reason now. Faith is now understood as a blind act of the will. Evidence and reason are not essential to our faith. It's amazing, wherever I go around the country, how many pastors will come up to me and say, you know, you present reasons why we believe in a... When does faith come in? Where does faith come in? And I said, well, what is faith? And he said, faith is... It's just believing. You know, it's a blind leap in the dark. You've got a complete misunderstanding of what biblical faith is. Biblical faith, as William Lane Craig states, is a reasonable faith, faith built on good reason and evidence. Ravi Zacharias maybe says it best. Biblical faith is taking a step in the direction 
where the evidence leads. Jesus, powerful apologetics he presented. Okay, he was the best. There's a book out there if you want to get, The Apologetics of Jesus. Very good book. Outstanding book. <laughs> Take a look at that one. Paul presented powerful reasons why you should believe in Christ. I remember when I was on a debate, on a radio debate with the Rational Response Squad. They were the number one atheist website out there. And when they opened the debate, they said, Pat and Kevin are going to present their case for Christianity, and we're going to present all the evidence why Christianity is not true, and their answer is going to be faith. Faith. You just got to believe. I don't care what the evidence says. Just faith. It's all about faith. And that's how they're going to answer. Well, that's not much of an answer. A Muslim can say that. A Buddhist, a Hindu can say that. They're going to have to present a case, and they won't. All they're going to say is faith, faith, faith. And when it was our time to respond, we stated, well, we want to thank you for clearing up that that is not what biblical faith is all about. Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Christianity is a reasonable faith. There's good reason and evidence for believing in Christ. And what you said is not biblical. It's a misunderstanding. Thank you for clearing that up. You know, they're really caught off guard. You know, because the vast majority of Christians, they tear up on their radio show. That's how they answer. Well, it's just faith. You know, I got no evidence, but I just believe because faith. So there's a misunderstanding of faith and reason. This concludes the first part of the message. I hope you are challenged to love God more deeply with your heart, soul, and mind. Join Pat next week for part two of this message, Developing the Christian Mind. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and read Pat's articles on this issue. Be sure to join Pat and fellow scholars, Kirby Anderson and Dr. Mark Hitchcock, at this year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference, this February 24th through 26th, at Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor. Our theme this year is Sign of the Times, Prophecy and its Role in Apologetics. Register today at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry with Probe International relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join Pat next week as he presents part two of this message here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh